Well, hello and welcome to episode 14 of Dissecting Philately. I am Mike Pasco, and here with another episode, the podcast goal here, the, the whole about this podcast is a glimpse into the philatelic adventures of an academic anatomist. I'm really glad you could join me for this first video episode, so let's go ahead and dive on in. And I would like to just open with a couple of remarks, uh, beginning with that I am happy to be back so shortly, and this is relatively speaking, relatively shortly after the previous episode. I'm trying to post more regularly. I'm trying to get a flow down. I'm trying to get a template down. So that way it just takes me a little bit of time to update you, share with you what's going on, and connect with you uh, in a meaningful way. So I have a little bit of an update, and these uh, figures here are meant to more or less demonstrate that there is activity in this space. This is not me uh, boasting in any way. Uh, these numbers are just more of a metric, and they are a symbol of how lively and active philately is, because you may have heard or you may be hearing that this is a dead and dying hobby, and in fact, I think that uh, we're just seeing that it's really picking up again. So 1,500 total plays for the Dissecting Philately podcast across all episodes. And that previous uh, figure was 1,400. So we'll see how that can grow over time. And also the uh, Anchor FM platform that I'm using to make this podcast estimates an audience size of 41 at the time this was recorded where it was 38 um, at the previous episode. And speaking of Anchor, I am really excited to open up and say that they have a video feature. And you may have been made aware of this. Maybe you do your own podcasting using Anchor and you got the emails as well. But with this platform, um, they've been purely audio up to this point, And now the video feature was announced. So I clicked on a link that was an application where I submitted my content info and was granted early access. So I kind of let them know and they wanted to know what is your experience with making content, uh, how many people approximately view your content. And so I was able to share not only what I do here on Anchor as an audio podcast, but also what I've done with the video on YouTube. So I was granted early access and you are seeing the very first on video uh, version. Now you may be seeing it. My understanding is, my assumption is, that I will upload this video file to Anchor. Anchor will uh, extract the audio and present that as a typical standard audio episode. Now this just helps me out because I don't need to uh, record something completely different for a video version. And I'm just, you know, an early adopter. I want to see where this goes, how it works. Uh, you know, stamp collecting is a very visual medium. I'm always listening to stamp collecting podcast left wanting to see the actual items, and there's always promise of posting the images, and I don't think I, I ever find them. So I want to break that pattern, and I want to show you what I'm talking about. So let's go ahead and get started. Now, again, because of the the title and the overall goal of this podcast, Dissecting Philately, I'd like to have some crossover between what I view as two related disciplines. So, you know, again, my overall recollection is that there's a lot more in common between anatomy and philately than you might think of um, initially. And these are two big passions of mine. So let's hit by the numbers. These segments are going to be a way to show the connection uh, shared between anatomy and philately. And let's just look at anatomy by the numbers. 
So episode 14, I want to do something uh, in uh, relation to the number 14. So as we've gotten to number 14, I would like to stick with the theme of embryological development, uh, specifically looking at day 14 of development. Now, I am not an embryology expert. So as far as I can tell, the most common uh, timeline or way to describe the development of the embryo is to use a Carnegie stage. So day 14 is going to fall within Carnegie, Carnegie stage six. I can't honestly tell you what delineates a stage, if it's certain landmarks uh, or events that move us from stage five to six to seven. I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that day 14 is within Carnegie stage number six. Essentially, the highlight of what's going on at this stage is that a bilaminar embryo, that is to say a two-layered embryo, is around um, 0.2 millimeters in diameter. I think of a dime as about the length of a millimeter for something uh, for us Americans that are using the imperial system. So if you've got a dime that is about a millimeter uh, in length, the thickness of the dime that is, then that's a fifth of that is the diameter of the bilaminar embryo. So super small. And these two layers are creating three extra embryotic spaces. So they are listed here as amnionic, primitive, yolk sac, and chorionic. So this stage here, this illustration, excuse me, this image is taken from microscopy and it's showing us a certain section through the embryo. So we can see this amniotic cavity uh, near the top of the image. There's the uh, primitive yolk sac, and then there's the chorionic cavity. So those embryologists listening to this, you're going to have um, a lot better understanding and explanation than I have. But I just want, again, to have some crossover. If you are a stamp collector listening to this, um, understand and appreciate what is happening at these various uh, days and stages of development. And just expressing the the awe of how things are happening especially on such a small scale so the last uh, bit here about embryologic development day 14 the maternal uterine wall continues to undergo expanding decidualization in response to the implantation process okay now let's go over to the philatelic side what is most relevant to the number 14? Well, I don't know about most relevant, but the theme I've been sticking with here is let's review the various postage stamps as they appear in the catalog. So the philatelic structure of our discipline, and that is Scott number 14. So here you've got an image, which I have taken from the website, the Swedish tiger. This is an excellent visual identification website. And so as we go take a look at um, Scott number 14, we see that we have the following specs here. This stamp was issued April 12th, 1855. And I'm recording this on April 13th. I could have planned that a little better, but 167 years old, almost to the day. 10 cent denomination. Dark green or yellowish green. Stamps are often described by the the ink that was coloration that was used in making the design and uh, here we see green is pretty common but of course color can change over time the composition and the mixture of the ink itself changes over time as the stamps are issued over time so dark green can be seen as well as yellowish green also we call this design 
a type 2. Now, if you go back to episode 13, that is where we covered the uh, Scott number um, 13, and that was the type 1. Now, the printing method is described as die to relief to plate transfer. So a die is created, and then that is ultimately used to create a plate that is going to transfer uh, the design to the paper. The plate that is used is plate number one. And in my understanding, the different stamp issues, the different designs are made from different plates as we go across time. So plate number one was used to generate this specific stamp, and that is a, a big factor into how we discern and distinguish this as a specific instance of a postage stamp as a number 14. The company that produced uh, or printed was Toppen, Carpenter, Calisse, and Company. You may recognize them from printing other issues of this era. And I hope you can recognize uh, our first president, George Washington, as the subject of the design. And the number issued, so 2,325,000 of these were issued. I believe this comes from uh, the printer records. Uh, this may come from governmental records. It may be an estimate. I'm not entirely sure, but this is the number that is put out there for the number of these stamps uh, that were issued. So, of course, only a fraction of them are still in existence and in collections. Now, when we say perforation, again, we have to acknowledge it's a little bit awkward to talk about perforation because the process of perforating was not happening at this time. So we describe this type of stamp with straight edges as imperforate. So you can see on the margins here the design of the adjacent stamp. And that is because these sheets were cut using a large pair of scissors. That's how the stamps were separated. So when you think about this example here, this is a remarkable example with very generous margins, we'd say. The white space around the design looks really good. It's very common for stamps to not have a full four margins like this when they were cut from sheets in this manner. The designs were just very close together. <clears throat> So again, why do we care? What did the stamp do for uh, citizens of the United States at the time that it was used? So the letter rate or the amount of money it cost uh, for distances greater than 3,000 miles and a letter that was under half an ounce was 10 cents. So let's say you're in Boston and you want to send something to California. Or as I have an example here in the top corner, I believe this is Eastport, Maine and they wanted to send to um, Upper California. So that is going to be across the continent, across the country, more than 3,000 miles, and so it's going to take more resources, and therefore a greater rate is justified. Now, this because of the frequency or the, the commonality of sending correspondence from east to west coast, west to east coast, this is a relatively common thing to do so this stamp is relatively common in other words this stamp was not used to pay for a relatively expensive or rare usage uh, i think maybe for example sending a letter to europe uh, or to asia would have cost a lot more would have been a lot more rare than this stamp here and it's also interesting to note that the coast-to-coast -coast mail rate was raised so the coast-to-coast -coast rate prior to 1855 was six cents so a lot of your 
covers or letters that were folded and sent from coast to coast prior to 1855 would have had like a six cent rate on them. But now that we have a reissuing uh, for various reasons, various legislative or congressional reasons, the rates changed. And so now we have an increased rate. And do I have a copy of this issue in my personal collection? And yes, I do. Sorry, I didn't have it ready to show you, but it's definitely not as good looking as this number 14. The margins are definitely not as, as um, generous. The design is definitely trimmed, and there's probably some kind of cancellation or, or marking on the stamp. This is a really good example. So what else has been happening in terms of philatelic updates? Well, let's go through here. Number one, got many giveaways. So there are many stamp forums out there, and there are many collectors that are contributing to these forums. And one really cool way that you can contribute to a stamp forum is you can run a giveaway contest. So what I've seen mostly is they, they're asking for a couple of minimal requirements. You've been a member of the forum for a certain amount of time. You have contributed so many posts to the forum. Then you can enter your name, and then they will randomly pick a name at the end of the time period that they specify. So I'm happy to report that I've, I've received three giveaways. Um, let me show you the just the basics here. So one giveaway was for Great Britain postage stamps. And uh, part of my collecting uh, mission, if you will, or the scope of my collection is to collect uh, Great Britain. So they've stacked in a bunch of commemoratives, definitives uh, into these glassine envelopes. And they sent them off to me. There's some uh, Victorian era stamps in there. So that is really nice. Uh, second giveaway, there's a lot of stamps from Bulgaria. So more international. I'm not a Bulgaria collector. So I have been filing away my international postage stamps for a later date because keeping up with U.S. is, is, is enough for now. And then the third giveaway, uh, some other international uh, stamps. So here is a block of four uh, from Germany, uh, something that looks like it's celebrating the Berlin Zoo. Here is something celebrating what I assume to be the Swedish uh, royal family. And then another um, commemorative here, commemorating July 20th, 1944 in Germany. It's... um. Yeah, like the 50th anniversary of some event. So this is always the great thing about stamp collecting, lifelong learning. I have no idea what's going on here, but I'm going to definitely need to look that up, uh, unfortunately, sometime down the road, because again, I'm not focusing on international stuff right now. Uh, I've got a lot going on with U.S. Recently attended a Rocky Mountain Philatelic Library Young Collectors Club. So I've got some photos to show you of that, but you're going to want to look up the Rocky Mountain Philatelic Library, especially if you are living in Colorado. They are centrally located in Denver, and they run all kinds of great activities throughout the year. There are many collecting clubs that meet there, including the Young Collectors Club. So I'll talk you through what that looks like uh, in a little bit. I recently saw the musical Hamilton at the Buell Theater for the Denver Center of Performing Arts. And I just mention it because I don't think I appreciated the role that letters and postage played in the lives of people in history until I started to collect them and I started to learn more and dig deeper, thinking about the rates 
and the routes that were used to carry this correspondence, thinking about the lack of internet. How did people correspond with family members in different states and different localities? And also who had accessibility to be able to learn to read and write and have the finances to send a 10 cent letter across the country? I haven't done a calculation, but that could be something like a 20 to $30 rate contemporarily. So looking at the um, musical Hamilton, Hamilton's wife Eliza keeps all of the correspondence that Hamilton has sent her and letters are featured prominently in the play so maybe you've seen it I want to hear if you have the same recollection and the same reflection and if you are yet to see it I do want you to keep an eye out Um, Hamilton the musical was recorded uh, and is available on Disney Plus if you happen to have a subscription to that So we love that show, that musical. Seeing it in person was amazing. Disney Plus, they did a great job um, producing that. And I highly recommend that. Also, I scored a a Title IX NFT from the USPS on Vive. So I'm going to also break this down in some subsequent um, slides here because I think that is probably a sentence loaded with terms uh, that many people have not heard of before. So let me break that down in a little bit. I also returned from a recent trip to Philadelphia. I went to an American Association for Anatomy annual meeting. This was my first meeting in person since lockdown, and it was great. Um, It was good to see people again. It was good to uh, see all the presentations, see the posters, do the networking. And as a bonus, in historic Philadelphia, I'd never been before. I didn't have a lot of time to sightsee, so again, I focused my efforts on philately while I was in Philadelphia and I was able to go to the Benjamin Franklin post office. This is in an area of town, an old area of town where Franklin had many buildings. There was a printing area. Uh, I think his house was there. I think it's since been removed, but there's a lot of Benjamin Franklin history in this, uh, you know, third Avenue, third street of Philadelphia. And it was really good to go there. I made a custom cover And I was able to get it postmarked there, uh, just kind of commemorating the annual conference. I plan to do that for all of the anatomy conferences I go to, just again, make a real simple commemorative cover. And uh, in this case, I put some U.S. stamps on there that were of designs of Philadelphia and Pennsylvania. So those are pretty plenty to come by. And that was uh, a real nice experience for sure. On my desk right now, I have got some postage stamps that I am getting ready to put on envelopes for other custom cover projects. So Friday on April 15th, this one, the Jackie Robinson issue in the Black Heritage series, uh, this is going to go on an envelope that I will take to Denver when we go to the Colorado Rockies baseball game. Because this April 15th is the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson's first Major League Baseball game, um, of which we're pretty much all familiar with. That was the first time a black man was allowed to play Major League Baseball. So again, another opportunity to reflect on uh, the the history of racism in our country. And on an individual level, what actions do we take on a day-to-day basis Uh, that may be racist and how we can move to a more anti-racist person, personality, ultimately community and country. So I've got that going on. I've also got the marathon stamp. The marathon stamp was issued um, in the 90s 
uh, for the 100th anniversary of the Boston Marathon, the first Boston Marathon. And so that makes this year the 125th anniversary. So I will get that on an envelope. I am not planning to travel to Boston, but I will still want to mark the occasion and create a custom cover. And the other things that are going on right now on my desk, I have got several trimmed self-adhesive postage stamps. So I'd like to have a discussion about this with you all. What do you do with your self-adhesive postage stamps? I cannot bear the thought of taking my can of pure citrus and spraying this orange-scented chemical on the stamps to get the glue to dissolve, to remove them from the glue, to, to wash them or rinse them. Some people are sprinkling talcum powder onto the back. It just sounds like a nightmare. So I am not going to bother taking these stamps off of paper. I'm going to leave them on paper. And I really don't even have a contemporary U.S. album at the moment. So I don't even really know how I'm going to mount these. I've just been putting them in stock books. So I've got probably from 2012 all the way to to 2022, I've got maybe 100 stamps here that I need to catalog. I'll check and see if I have a copy. And if I do, then I'll save them for my daughters, for their collection. And I basically cut these off of the postage that I've received over the last several years. So the the water-activated postage stamps, the lick and stick, those get cut off the envelopes as well. I just don't cut them off as precisely, and I throw them in a shoebox. And so one of these days, it will be time to do a lot of stamp soaking. So that's what's going on on my desk right now. And I am also looking forward to attending the Rocky Mountain Stamp Show. Please do check it out. I'll, I'll put links to all of these um, materials in the about information about the episode uh, for whatever plat, uh, podcast platform you're listening to. You should have some links that you can check out. So if you're local or even within the region, you should come to Denver on May 27th for the Rocky Mountain Stamp Show. It's going to be the first time that it is run since 2019. So 2020 and 2021 were put on hold. And I know that COVID cases are picking up in places like China and also in Philadelphia, oddly enough. I really hope that they don't pick up here and that we're able to have an in-person stamp show at the end of May. All right, so more about the Rocky Mountain Philatelic Library visit. This is a picture in the top right here. This is the external view of their building. They essentially have two buildings. They have a library building with all the literature, and then they have a secondary building where they hold the meetings. There's a lot of space for tables and chairs, and they also have an area with some displays and some uh, philatelic paraphernalia, and they also have a little closet area where they keep materials and binders and boxes of stamps for kids. So it's really well-maintained. Wow, uh, excuse me, the dogs uh, must have seen something exciting out of the door. (laughs) But they do a great job at the Philatelic Library. It's very clean, it's very well-maintained, lots of volunteers, lots of meetings, lots of activity. They have a strong presence at the Rocky Mountain Stamp Show. Uh, If if they don't even, uh, maybe, maybe they even organize the stamp show. I'll have to learn a little bit more about the structure. 
So inside the building where the, the kids were meeting for the young collectors, there was this painting, this really nice painting. And I don't even know what the title is. Um, old man looking at stamps. I have no idea. I want to learn more about this painting. I don't know if a philatelic library member did it. I don't know if this is a very famous painting. It looks like the there is a signature in the bottom left corner of the artist. And I will be going to another one of these meetings this month. So I will have to check in and see what's going on here. But I think it's got a couple of really cool themes to it. It's got the theme of knowledge. Uh, you've got international um, awareness. You've got the globe there looking at Africa, which in my opinion is pretty amazing. I know we've got a, a white man here, an old white man, which is the stereotypic stamp collector. And um, we've got Africa in view on the globe. So that that is pretty cool. I, I wonder what message the artist was intending to send with that. Uh, definitely an international feel and learning about the world. Uh, we've got the, the man handling the postage stamps. He's got a magnifying glass. That's a tool that I've got um, at my desk right now. I use um, this type of magnifying glass uh, that has you know a light built into it so you can... Uh, take a look at what's going on under the glass a little better, and it's uh, it's really good and still a very contemporary tool for the stamp collector. And then you've got the books, right? So you think, I think what's going on is he's got the open book there in front of him is the catalog. It's like a 1920 version of the Scott catalog, right? So he's got his Scott catalog. Well, he's got a catalog. I'm not exactly sure when the Scott catalog started, but he's got his reference material there and he's got a pile of stamps. So maybe he's getting ready to sort them uh, to put them into an album. He's also got, it looks like an inkwell with a pen inside. So he'll be able to write something about his stamps or he may very well uh be preparing or just finished writing a letter to somebody. So I think it's a really amazing painting. And I just love the bookshelf behind him with all the books. And I think at some point I will need to recreate this photo. I've got all the elements here. Um, my beard is not quite as long as this guy's, but I think that would be really cool to, to do something like that. And the meeting is amazing for many reasons. They've got boxes of stamps that are off paper. So my understanding is that this is a big volunteer job at the Philatelic Library. They need people to take in donations of stamps, get them off of paper by soaking them. However they do that, they, they seem to press them all flat. And then to organize and catalog based on country, maybe some of the really nice stamps can be uh, put into the Philatelic Library silent auction. Uh, or other auctions that they perform throughout the year to help uh, support and fund the, the library. And then they also have binders of topicals. So volunteers sort these stamps into binders, and you know what my girls wanted to see right away. They wanted to see the Disney binder, horses, minerals, dogs. They're all about topical collecting. It's a really, really good way to get a child interested in collecting. Is based around a certain subject. And the other thing that makes it amazing for the kids are the snacks. Charlie and Dan did a great job providing us with um, snacks and drinks, and it was a great time. And I think we were there for about an hour and a half. And look at the hall. Look at everything they got. So many souvenir sheets, uh, first day covers, 
of the uh, service dog issue that came out not too long ago. You've got some Disney Pixar. Uh, you've got Mickey Mouse, Wally, a lot of dogs. So this is going to go into their collection, into their stock books. And they were just so excited. We're at Grandma and Grandpa's house, and they immediately had to dump everything out and show Grandma and Grandpa what they scored. All right, and then let's also go into a little bit of detail on what I mean by I was able to acquire an NFT of the Title IX postage stamp from the USPS on a platform called Vive, and that's V-E-V-E. So uh, I got an email because I'm signed up to receive notifications of when things are about to go on sale through Vive that said on uh, this date in March, we will be releasing, the USPS will be releasing uh, an NFT, a non-fungible token, a digital representation of the postage stamp designs for the Title IX issue. Now, if you don't know what an NFT is, I am going to direct you to YouTube where you can search and look for stamp collectors and philatelists that have described what NFTs are and how they are fitting and emerging into the philatelic realm. And I challenge you to do this because you have probably read or heard a lot of different things about NFTs that may be painting them in a negative light. And it may be a lot different than your style of collecting, and it might be outside of your understanding. So I encourage you, because I think this is a, a trait of a stamp collector, of a true philatelist, to go and learn more about this before you uh, jump to a conclusion about what these are all about and what they represent. So uh, you probably know the comments and concerns and critiques that I'm talking about. You've seen them in the comments. Uh, Don't hesitate to send them to me uh, and comment on them for this podcast, but I just want people to be informed before they make assumptions. So I got the email that the stamp was going to be available. I made note of this. I went into the platform, which happened to be a smartphone app, and I was able to make a purchase. So what I purchased, I didn't know how this would work, but what I purchased is a blind box. So I will show you that there are many different um, varieties available. So they have a postage stamp of each of the four single designs, gymnast, swimmer, runner, soccer, and then a block of four. And I did not know upon purchasing which one I was going to get. Now the price is very cheap, $6.00 for six magic gems. I know it sounds like magic beans, but whatever, Uh, $6. My order was received and I couldn't believe it because this is a very rare, um, very challenging opportunity. It seems like there are ways for people to automatically or in an automated fashion get into the front of the line. So the fact that I did this uh, on my own uh, as an independent human being and got in the queue, I think was pretty remarkable. So I I was able to order, um, and it looks like I got the block of four. And it was labeled as secret rare, and I had no idea what that meant. And I also didn't know why it would take some time to deliver my digital representation of the stamp. But whatever, I'm learning. This was $6. I wasn't too worried. Let's see what happens. And while I was waiting, I went and did a little bit of research in the Vive platform, or Vivi, who knows how to say it. The Postal Service put out this information about the series, and they defined that secret rare, that is the lowest number of editions. So they came out with 1,957 editions of the block of four that I was assigned. So that was pretty cool because, again, secret rare, 
that means different things to different people. These common, uncommon titles in, in collecting hobbies are often subjective. So I was pretty excited. You want to go on to um, onto the platform to read more about the stamp. Here's an image of what it looks like. You've got the, the woman in profile, uh, Title IX, civil rights prohibiting discrimination on the basis of sex. So a really important milestone uh, in our country's history. And I was able to receive it. So now I basically have this item, this asset. This is a digital asset that exists in my digital wallet, if you will, within the the Vive um, platform. So those are some of the things that have been keeping me busy since the last time uh, we checked in with each other. So to close things out here, I just want to um, thank you for your attention. Let me know what you think about the video format. Uh, If you're an audio consumer, is there anything different, better, or worse about the pure audio format? Don't forget that you can check out the video format. I will be providing that shortly. And if you want to find out more about everything I'm doing related to philately, you're going to want to look for me on uh, online because I like to document and share a lot of what I'm doing digitally. And so instead of giving you several links, I'll give you the one link that gets you to everything else that I do. It's a link tree link. So in your address bar, it's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E and then backslash dissecting philately, all one word. And you can also, if you want to just connect with me right away, you can talk to me via Twitter. My handle is D-I-S-S-E-C, philately. Instagram, I post pictures of what I'm up to at dissecting philately. And I also check an email address, dissectingphilately at gmail.com. So thank you again for stopping in, for having a listen. And I'm going to end episodes with a quote now about collecting. I found a poem attributed to author Evie Lucas that goes, The postage stamp is a flimsy thing, no thicker than a beetle's wing, and yet it will roam the world for you exactly where you tell it to. All right. Thanks a bunch, gang. Take care, and I will see you next time.